0: This is the Advisor Odyssey audio experience, where financial advisors, planners, insurance agents, and brokers will find fresh new ideas and perspectives around what it takes to launch, succeed, scale, and bulletproof their business.
1: The journey your prospect takes through your marketing funnels before they even see you for the first time, it should be nothing less than intentional, right? I'm talking like everything from the subtle ad placements throughout social media to uh, you know the email sequence hitting their inbox, maybe the text sequence, um, and to the point where you give them the super direct call to action. That's going to be what drives them to make the decision to meet with you. So I'm a sports guy. Let's refer to this moment as the at-bat with your prospect. That moment is going to be If uh, let's call it in your marketing, let's say you do a lot of educational workshops. The at-bat will be at your workshop, okay? We can plug and play the workshop with other things if it's the radio, or excuse me, if you're on the radio, the at-bat could be when the prospect hears your radio show. Um, Again, we can plug and play, but that's going to be our starting point for today's discussion. Now, did you know that there's typically five phases during the life cycle of the prospect where you can actually lose them. Those five phases are going to be at the at-bat, it's going to be after the at-bat but before the first appointment is set. After the at-bat and after the first appointment is set. After the first appointment but before the second appointment occurs. And then finally after the second appointment but before any sort of paperwork is signed and dated. Now First off, could you actually identify all five of these phases in your sales funnel? If not, take a second. Like we got to dig into that and you need to be able to identify that because that's how we can continue to improve our sales process through and through. Now, what do you do during these phases that's going to keep the prospects warm, right? That's another critical question, but if you don't have anything that continues to engage with prospects or as we'd call it nurturing, then you're going to risk losing them. So, and then finally, do you track your fall off during each of these individual phases? A lot of advisors, they just, in their head, they say, you know, I had you know, 40 people show up to my event, but three of them became clients. It's more common, I should say, that you'll actually have people say, 40 showed up to my event and I set 20 meetings, but that's where it starts to get a little fuzzy. Then we only look at the ones that actually closed. We need to dig in and look at where they fall off in the process if they fall off. So uh, believe me, not many financial advisors or you know marketing directors or not many people are aware of this uh, or at least all phases within their own sales process. Typically they don't have set processes in place to keep prospects warm throughout the entire process. Uh, oftentimes they don't track a lot of their marketing metrics after the bad occurs like we discussed. but. As most minds shift to the close, I wanna challenge you to shift your mindset to what happens after the at-bat. So, uh, your marketing should never stop. It should be just as intentional after the at-bat occurs. So, in our example, after the workshop occurs as it was during the workshop and even before. So, let's break down each of these five phases in much more detail. The first phase where you're likely to lose people is actually going to be during the at-bat now it's important to recognize that there's typically going to be three types of people that she'll interact with uh, on a on a continual basis whether it's at your event or maybe it's on a radio show like whatever the situation may be there's going to be three types of people typically Uh, the first type is going to be those who they actually want to meet with you they just they thought that was the best way to go about it so they're attending your event or they're listening to your show or they're calling in whatever it is uh, the second type of person will be the ones who, they just, they will never meet with you, right? This is actually really common if you do seminars and workshops. They just, they want the education, they want the food, they they want the environment and the experience, but they will never set an appointment with you. There's nothing you can do. But the third type is gonna be those who are on the fence and quite frankly, they're still just trying to figure you out. You know, maybe they're shopping, maybe they've thought about, you know, finding it, uh, whether it's a first advisor or a new advisor, they just, they're trying to figure out where to go. Um, These are the ones that we want to make sure that we're appealing to because this is where the best, uh, whether you're an advisor, you know, a uh, a CPA, maybe if your focus is fully on taxes or life insurance, whatever it is, this is where you're going to find that success will attend your efforts if you do this right. So uh, it really goes without saying the group that's going to likely set the appointment with you no matter what is going to be the first group. But uh, as I said, group two will never set the appointment. Group three Here's the one mistake that you want to avoid when it comes to making sure that that third group of people set an appointment with you. The number one mistake to avoid during your at bat is asking for the appointment or a commitment of any kind too quickly. Now you can avoid this common mistake by always ensuring that you're giving your prospect something that they could actually act upon or, you know, perhaps do further research on. Uh, like completely on their own. If your mindset is clouded by scarcity, and uh, you know, let's say you're timid to actually give out a real answer, then you're you're not going to succeed in this. It's going to be a constant struggle. And I get it. I understand. You're not going to want to tell somebody that you just met how they should allocate their portfolio. Like that's not okay. We shouldn't do that, right? Uh, we need to know the full picture. But you could, for example, and maybe this is something that has happened to you. You could tell them. You know, if they ask you, you know, hey, John Smith. You know, I've been hearing a lot about life insurance. What is actually the difference between, you know, like permanent life insurance versus term life insurance? All right, that's a really easy question, but the point is just give them the answer, right? I hope you wouldn't tell them, you know, hey, let's that's a good question. Let's sit down and talk about it, right? We, we don't want to do that, right? When people ask you what time it is, they want to know the time. They don't want to know how the clock works or how their watch works. So um, constantly give and don't be afraid of that. But again, the number one mistake to avoid is asking for the appointment or a commitment too quickly. The second phase where you're going to lose people throughout your process is after the at bat, but it's gonna be before the first appointment is actually set. Now this is actually my favorite phase of the sales process and uh, (laughs) you'll never really know how many people actually wanted to sit down with you or work with you if you don't stay in front of them long enough to find out. Oftentimes it's a timing issue uh, you see, like when you hop on Amazon, you put a TV in your cart. If you don't buy it, you're going to get littered with ads about TVs. Why? It's because Amazon knows that you're interested, you want it, just the timing wasn't right to buy it. That's their mindset. That's how they're choosing to look at it. So their mindset is, hey, let's stay in front of them. So when the timing is right, you know, maybe it's that check in the mail that hits, maybe it's payday, maybe it's a birthday gift, whatever it is, they want to stay in front of you so that when it comes time to buy, you buy from them. Now, Moving into this, the number one mistake to avoid after the at-bat, but before the first appointment is actually set, is not having a plan to stay in front of that prospect long term. If you're, if you're viewing it short-sightedly, just, you know, again, if it's a workshop, if all you're thinking is, you know, how can we stay in front of them for a week, or maybe it's during the workshop or a couple days after, you're not going to have a ton of success with this right? Have a long-term plan, stay in front of them. Because you might have a prospect who, you know, they heard your radio show six years ago, but they haven't set an appointment because they just don't need to yet. You know, maybe they can't retire yet. Maybe they can't access some of their accounts, whatever it is, they just can't. But if you take your foot off the gas and you don't stay in front of them, they're going to go somewhere else. Someone that is in front of them because their job isn't to remember you. Their job is to go where they feel like they should, and your job is to stay in front of them, so they choose you. So um, another really good topic around this also is, when you know what someone's hot button is, and it might not be a super hot button, but if, uh, you know, perhaps you're doing digital marketing and your workshop is all around taxes, if you know that that person set, or excuse me, they registered to attend your workshop specifically around taxes, It's probably safe to assume taxes are something that's important to them. Stay in that vein, right? Don't, don't throw them in this generic pool of, uh, like email nurturing or whatever it is. Don't send them stuff about social security. Don't send them a ton of stuff about, you know, life insurance or don't send like stick with taxes, right? For, for a reasonable amount of time. You know, I would recommend probably going three to six months of just staying in front of them with tax related stuff, but you know, what's important to them just stick with it. Now, the third phase here where you're likely losing prospects is after the at-bat and after the first appointment is actually set. So they haven't showed up yet, but it's set. Uh, there's tons of studies available on the internet that you can find in, in like other journals that talk about best practices around like marketing and keeping prospects warm and removing buyer's remorse. But um, here's the main thing. Do not just assume that they're still eager to meet with you a week later as they were when they set the appointment, right? You need to continually find a way to manufacture that excitement and stay on them, right? Most people actually, they don't make a majority of their financial decisions on logic. Believe it or not, a lot of them will actually make more of their financial decisions based on emotion. They'll look for logic for like the reasoning component, but they will explore it initially based on emotion. So, uh, a really good like example of this is if you are hosting workshops and you're talking all about taxes, that was the example I used a little bit ago. You can talk to them all like all day long about tax code and tax laws and like you could do all that, or you could tell them a story about how you helped a client save thousands of dollars on taxes. So then they could buy their dream car. Right? It's a totally different feel because it appeals to emotion, not logic. So The number one mistake to avoid after the first appointment is set but before it occurs is not continuing to market to the prospect before they arrive to the first appointment. A good rule of thumb here is before the first appointment, they should be hit with an email, a phone call or text, preferably phone call but a text will be okay, and if possible, a package in the mail from you. Send them a, a brochure of your company, of your services. If, you, if you're if you working with a larger brokerage company now or, uh, you know, a larger agency, you hopefully have really good branded material, send that to them, right? Even if you don't perceive it as valuable, that's not necessarily the goal here. The goal is just to stay top of mind. Send them something in the mail, right? Um, if you do, though, have something about your team, send that instead, like if you've got anything about your team, like a personal component, send that out. Um, I would also recommend sending them out something that details to them exactly what to expect during their first appointment. Uh, buyer's remorse will creep up if they begin to feel uh, kind of uneasy or unsteady about what to expect during the first appointment. They don't want to you know, go in too deep to the pool, they just want to toe dip. Make sure it's really clear to them. Assume they don't know. That's the key, assume they do not know what to expect. Uh, from the email perspective, if uh, you're emailing them, make sure that it's a give, as uh, I alluded to earlier. It should be fixated around value and probably a hot topic right now. Uh, at the time we're recording this, inflation is a hot topic, and it, it could be for quite a while now. Uh, send them something in the mail. or I'm sorry, send them an email. Apologies. Send them an email about inflation, right? Maybe it's a big article that just hit the internet. Uh, maybe it was something that you saw in a magazine. Maybe, like, send them something about that. Doesn't have to be anything super fancy, and then finally the phone call faction of it. Um, think of this as kind of like a confirmation call, but not only are you confirming the date and the time of your appointment, you're also going to want to fo- uh, assume you're also going to want to clarify the focus of the first appointment. So, some really easy scripting on that. Hi, John and Susie. The focus during our meeting on Thursday the 18th will be all about you two and what your retirement aspirations are. However, I know you both value learning about taxes, so I've included an amazing article around uh, tax planning in 2023. I hope you find it insightful and a thoughtful read. Looking forward to chatting with you. You don't even have to do this yourself if you've got a team that can help you. It's really not, like, it's not meant to be a salesy thing, it's truly just meant to be a communication piece. But uh, again, email, phone call, something in the mail that's going to increase your stick ratio for those first appointments immediately I promise now the fourth area here is after the first appointment but before the second appointment actually occurs now this uh, (laughs) this one is also going to be pretty interesting because it's going to follow the same philosophy as the previous phase you're gonna just want to keep them as warm as possible but you're gonna want to find another reason to drip value on them in between appointments so the number one mistake to avoid after the first appointment occurs, but before the second, is not building leverage in the situation. Now, you can probably tell if the prospect would make a good client after your first meeting with them. You can see if your values align, if they're, um, you know, their philosophy is like, if all that aligns with you and your business, and you would even entertain them becoming a client, then here's what we wanna do. Build leverage in the situation by listening to them. Sounds obvious, but that first appointment is all about them. Remember, it's all about them. That second meeting is your actual, like, first real opportunity to propose a potential plan to them that you or your team built. But before that second meeting occurs, it's when you drip value on them, focus on the planning side of what you do. Focus on what makes you unique, what makes you special. If You have a branded sales process or something trademarked to you. Advertise it, stand out. If you've written a book around financial planning, leverage it. If you're, you know, if you've been a featured speaker on like a another podcast or maybe you helped author a uh, like a really nice article in a magazine or an online database, like share it with them. It's during this phase that you should be building you and your team's credibility. Now the final phase where you're likely losing prospects throughout your funnel is going to be after the second appointment occurs but before any paperwork is signed and dated now congratulations you got your verbal commitment to move forward the only remaining hurdle is the former financial advisor uh, if they had one in general and i say financial advisor that could be an insurance agent that could be a broker that could be a you know a cpa another accountant, whatever it is you're dealing with the competition This would be another situation why you actually would want to have your sales process branded because that'll serve as an aid to closing the deal because you offer them something that no one else can. Okay, But uh, their former financial advisor is obviously not going to be too thrilled about them making a move. They will probably do whatever they can to halt any sort of transition to work with you. And they'll probably want to tear down the plan that you built. So the number one mistake to avoid after the second appointment occurs but before any paperwork is signed and dated, is not preparing your new client for what to expect upon the breakup and the new relationship with your firm. Coach your client on what they should be expecting when they let their other advisor or their other accountant or whomever it is know that they are leaving. Your number one priority is onboarding your new client successfully and initiating the plan you built. Whereas your client's number one priority is their own finances and financial future. Behavior comes into play here. Emotion will drive decisions. Remember that. The other advisor's number one priority is tearing apart your deal and salvaging their client. Okay. Some advisors will do this gracefully, while some will not. You should be telling your new client what should happen based upon your experiences with the more graceful breakups that you've dealt with. Here's a good line here. Mr. and Mrs. Smith, we're excited to move forward with you. Um, when it comes time to, uh, you know, let so and so know that you're going to be making a transition, they should understand that your goals have changed. Right? If if they were a friend before, they will remain a friend afterwards. They know that you've thought long and hard about this. You don't just make decisions on a whim. They will respect your decision. Now, if the ex advisor you know, the ex-account, whomever, if they do handle the situation in a hostile manner. It's just going to burn that bridge and you've likely earned a client for life, right? But again, they should more than likely handle it gracefully. And it's that grace that will also provide some sort of a, I don't want to call it a pushback, but it can it can creep up a little bit with uh, like in the client's mind. Maybe I shouldn't make a change. Maybe I shouldn't. I can just tell my advisor what I want to do instead and they'll just do it. That, that happens a lot, right? So we got to be upfront with that. Uh, try to be uh, not aggressive, but assertive when you tell them what to expect and be confident. So there you have it. By now, you should be aware of the five phases of your sales pro- uh, pipeline, pardon me, of your sales pipeline and how to market during all of the different phases. Do not make the common mistakes that so many you know advisors, insurance agents, brokers, so many of them make. Let's start our segment on coming from left field here. What's uh, our three questions for today?
0: From left field, where we take a swing at answering your specific questions and share our insights into the more common challenges that financial advisors, planners, insurance agents, and brokers typically face in their business.
2: Question number one from left field. I do mainly assets under management and insurance products for my client plans. Of course, everybody is different, but I've been told I should start doing Medicare. I'm not sure about it because the revenue it brings in seems like it's not worth the time that it takes. What are your thoughts?
1: Uh, This has been a pretty common topic. Actually, it seems every, (laughs) every October, November that rolls around, it becomes a, a bigger conversation piece. My opinion is that, If your business is in aggressive growth mode, if, if you're more of a lifestyle type practice right now, if you're just kind of, you're living on residuals, you're not actively marketing to try and get new clients. You're just taking on referrals and uh, working with your current client base, then don't mess with it. But if you're really trying to grow, I think Medicare is a must. It's, it's one of those things that everybody has to have when they turn 65. So you're already going to be in a good position to have success just because it's like it's a necessity. And for those of you who have like an actual book built up that, you know, whatever your lines of business are, maybe you're more focused on taxes or more on investment management or whatever it is, if you've got the client base already, it's it's a really easy conversation to have. And keep in mind many Medicare agents build their business by providing the one thing that people go to them for, which is Medicare. As an advisor, if think about this, if you're referring out all your Medicare business right now, uh, or maybe you're not referring it, you're just telling your clients you don't do that, you are willingly, uh, basically telling your clients, go talk with someone else so they can take care of the thing that's important to you right now. My perspective, I know a lot of uh, Medicare agents who have turned into full financial planners because they built their business by being that person. You wanna build a financial ecosystem for the most part. Uh, some of you, I'm sure you know, you don't really have aspirations to, to become, I don't wanna say holistic, but maybe you just wanna stay on focus on that one thing you're doing right now. But for a lot of you, you do wanna grow. You wanna be holistic, you wanna offer as much as you can to build your business. So from a marketing perspective, Offering Medicare will also open up the door for a lot of new campaigns. Um, If the, uh, like if time is your main reason why you don't want to do it, because again, that's, you know, time versus uh, money that it brings in. Maybe that's where the equation's off. Um, If you've got less than, well, let's say you've got 50 clients right now or 50 client households that are at age 65 or older if those 50 clients that you currently work with those client households, if they all buy a Medicare policy from you and let's say you make an average of $400 in compensation annually per household, that's roughly what 20,000 in revenue just from Medicare alone. Now you could hire somebody part-time to handle the operational component of that. If that's your big holdup, you could hire someone part-time to handle that. Now, You could also hire somebody full-time, though, to handle everything Medicare-related, not just the operational piece. That could also include the marketing. So when you market a whole new thing, right, if you've never dealt with Medicare, but now all of a sudden you're marketing Medicare, that's going to open up more of a client uh, base for you, a potential client base, pardon me. You're going to have more of a reach. And for uh, that individual that you hire full-time, let's say, if you incentivize them based upon their success around marketing not so much sales, but around marketing, man, those, uh, those new Medicare clients that you're likely going to bring in to eventually become holistic planning, by the way, that's typically how that will go. It's Medicare is going to serve as an amazing door opener. And for some of you, by the way, if you're looking to scale your practice and add new advisors, maybe you're in that phase, Medicare is an amazing training ground for newer advisors too. So, uh, Ryan, what's our next question?
2: Question number two, I am a newer advisor and I work for a larger money management firm out here in California. What should I be keeping track of personally in my business to be successful? So this is actually a pretty quick answer.
1: Um, You should be tracking above all else, your first appointments set. Now these are going to be, to be clear, just to clarify, new prospects. Track how many first appointments you're setting with new prospects. You're also going to want to be tracking how many of those first appointments actually happened. You set 10 new appointments, you had four cancellations, well, you're, you're 60%. Okay, You want to track that. And then a third area that you're really going to want to track, like coming out the gate, starting the business here, is how many new referrals you got from new clients in the past six months you're going to get most of your referrals between anywhere between uh, one month to probably six to seven months out uh, from there. It's going to be a steep drop off on how many referrals you actually get. But uh, that first uh, six months time, we'll just summarize that first six months. It's like that honeymoon phase. If you're doing a killer job, helping your clients and doing everything that you promised you would, they're going to want to rave about you for the most part. That's where most of your referrals will come from, like from a time frame perspective. So, Track how many referrals you're getting during your first six months of working with a new client. Ryan, what's our third question?
2: And our final question from left field today. What's an inexpensive and easy way to increase show ratios at my appointments and events? So there's going to be a compliance faction here.
1: Um, I'm not sure what their specific compliance allows, but uh, please check with your compliance team or your department if you're wanting to try this. But I think the best way for you to increase your show ratio is with text reminders. You know, your your doctor or dentist, they're probably doing it, texting you to confirm your appointment. Uh, the big car dealerships in your area do it. A lot of restaurants do it. Um, it's passive, it's cheap, and it can be personal, but it gives you a really good reason also to ask for your prospect's cell number early in the relationship. So staying on top of them with text reminders will very likely increase your show ratio, But at the very least, like the worst case scenario, you're going to drive more uh, prospect information, which will help you down the line with your marketing.
0: We hope you enjoyed the Advisor Odyssey audio experience. Connect with us on your favorite social media platforms at Advisor Odyssey. You can find our full-length educational videos to watch on YouTube, Instagram, and Facebook. Check out all our articles and publications on medium.com forward slash Advisor Odyssey. The Advisor Odyssey podcast is available on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. The contents and opinions shared, expressed or otherwise alluded to on the Advisor Odyssey podcast and audio experience are solely ideas and not to be depicted as tax, legal or investment advice. Results from the use of these concepts may not be representative of the experience of all financial professionals and are no guarantee of future success. Your results may vary. The Advisor Odyssey and its affiliated members are not to be held liable or responsible for any lawful recourse or punishment invoked upon the individual or accompanying business partners or team members. Federal law, state law, and or insurance carrier requirements may prohibit or place limitations on any of the ideas and activities expressed. All advisors, planners, wholesalers, affiliated reps, and investment advisors should be aware of any limitations imposed by federal regulation, state regulation, insurance carriers, broker dealers, and registered investment advisors, as applicable. Investment advisors are strongly encouraged to obtain pre-approval from the broker-dealer, registered investment advisor, insurance company, or similar institution with which they may be affiliated.